You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host and actually only person uh, coming to you from the E3 floor because it's E3. People go off and do their things and leave me annoyed. You think arranging a Skype podcast is hard? Try doing it at E3. With me today, I'm very happy to have uh, the lead designer of Civil- Sid Meier's Civilization V, uh, John Schaefer of Firaxis. Uh, John is, of course, the new lead designer on the very new Civilization V. I just had a brief demo of it. It's got some neat stuff going on. Uh, so, John, thanks for being here. Uh, no problem. It's good to be on. Um, I'm, most of our listeners are very familiar with Civilization, so you don't need to go through uh, what is Civ, what have you done, blah, blah. And they're also know all about the Hex stuff and a lot of the new things going on. So I'm going to ask you straight a straight game designer question. You're told you're the lead designer of Civilization V. Um, do you walk in saying, if I was to do Civilization, here's how it would change? Or do you get the job and then think about, okay, what do I have to change? Well, for me in particular, I, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do ahead of time. Um, obviously, uh, Civilization V is not going to be a humongous surprise to anybody, given how well Four did. And um, like any big fan of a game series, I had things that I wanted to take a look at and change. Um, in particular, the combat system was something that I was really interested in taking a crack at. Um, and that'll be something that obviously stands out to people familiar with Civilization as being pretty different. So um, there, there were some things that we, we kind of figured out as we went along, but a lot of the major features, we had a good idea of what we wanted to do pretty, pretty early. To talk about the combat system, uh, you've been quoted as saying Panzer General was an inspiration for what you did to Civilization V, and you can see it uh, when you see all the bonuses and how everything works. Uh, you're too young to have played Panzer General when it first came out, uh, but you look at Panzer General and Civ, they're two very different games. They're both more casual, a casual strategy game, casual uh, war game, uh, but the idea of mixing them is actually quite bizarre. Uh, did you get any pushback, any people thinking, what's wrong with this kid uh, when he comes up with this idea? <laughs> Not really. I, I think, at least internally, uh, we we were all kind of on the same page pretty early because we prototyped uh, the combat system quite early in the Civ 4 engine, and we were able to demonstrate that it worked pretty well really early on. So that was something that, that kind of grabbed a lot of attention and got everybody on the same page pretty early. Um, externally, of course, some people will always question the decisions that you make, and that's just kind of the way it is. Um, but I, I think once people get a chance to play it, uh, it should soothe a lot of their fears about how it works. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how Civ 5 is so much different from Civ 4. Um, but if, if you actually sit down and play the game, um, which is kind of hard to do for most people at this point, um, it's, it becomes pretty clear that it's still definitely a civilization game, and it doesn't feel nearly as different as I think a lot of people think it will. So how have the victory conditions changed? Because this is really a big thing in every civilization, uh, addition from 2 and 3 to 4 especially, uh, Deciding when to win and how you would win was really a big part of the game. Like, now I will go for the space race because I'm falling behind diplomatically. Or So is our victory condition something people have to plan out further and ahead, or is it something they can adapt to the new situation? 
we kind of wanted to go more the route of allowing players to adapt. There, there's going to be obviously some points at which you just can't go one particular direction. If you have no army, winning by military is going to be a little challenging. But um, one one example of that would be the diplomatic victory. Um, it's it's similar to the previous diplomatic victories in Civilization, but instead every every player in the game, including the city states, only gets one vote. So that means there's a lot more potential for winning or changing votes as the game progresses. Um, in previous games, it was based on the population of the players voting. So if you had a humongous population or somebody else had a humongous population, they kind of had uh, a strong influence on how the vote went. And once they had picked and made up their mind, there was not much you could do. So that's kind of one example of how we wanted to make it a little bit further into the game. Um, but on the whole, I mean, it's the victory conditions are similar to the previous games. We've kind of polished them up and made a few changes, but we, we kind of like the idea of the four different routes, conquest, diplomacy, culture, and science being the ways that you win the game. So it, it'll definitely be recognizable for Civ players. Um, one of the controversial changes to the game was taking out religion. It was a diplomatic plus or minus uh, more than anything else in the game, though the civics could dramatically change depending on what religion uh, versus policy you had. The religions were pretty much, you know, just icons. Um, it's been taken out of the game, but I go down there and I see the demo and I see piety. And piety has the you know, Star of David, a Christian cross, and a bunch of other symbols uh, in the social policy section. Uh, can you go into some detail as to how piety, it's I'm not going to say is religion, but you wouldn't have all those icons here if we didn't mean anything, right? <laughs> you know, I've seen the UI. There's no wasted icons there. Uh, so can you say a little bit about how religion is reflected uh, in the piety or how that works? Piety is, is a social policy branch, and for, for people that don't know much about the policy system yet, it's, it's kind of a replacement for the civics and uh, a time with government where as players accumulate culture, they can use that to spend on various social policies and progress through the game. It's, it's a system that's somewhat akin to either World of Warcraft or Company of Heroes for people who have played those games. Um, so piety is one of these branches, one of the ten that are in the game, and its focus is primarily on things like uh, culture and happiness in particular. Um, the, the, the symbols themselves are, uh, are not final, I should note. The, uh, you, you have a very perceptive eye, Troy. I'll, I'll grant you that. The, um, yeah, those, those icons were actually uh, made by our UI artist. Um, he was just uh, more or less filling things in at the point. Uh, so, so, But instead of using letters of the alphabet, he chose religious symbols, and that means nothing. Absolutely nothing. It honestly does. He kind of picked, he, he picked symbols he thought kind of fit the name. I'm like, mm, that's not quite right. Uh, but he uh, <laughs> okay. he decided to pick them. I, I hate to uh, disappoint you, but it is honestly just placeholder. Um, the, the, the piety branch itself, though, is um, it, certainly religion as it was in Civ 4 is not in the game. You don't have missionaries, you don't send them around, you don't found Christianity, that sort of thing. Um, the, the piety still gives players the opportunity to, to, to role-play the sense of playing a religious leader. And we do have uh, certainly buildings like temples and, and that sort of thing, so it's not completely absent. In, in terms of the, the religion mechanic as it existed in Civilization 4, 
Um, it, it was mainly just something that we didn't feel fit within the diplomacy priorities that we'd laid out early on. Um, namely that players are more rational in their behavior. So if in Civilization IV you could send out a bunch of missionaries, convert somebody to your religion, and they would just love you. And uh, that was kind of that was kind of it. They, they might backstab you rarely, but generally you were best friends, and that was just how it was. Um, whereas on the flip side, if somebody else was a different religion, becoming friends with them was nearly impossible, um, just because. Um, and and the, that's certainly one way to do it. And, and Soren was definitely a big fan of putting out the numbers and showing, okay, you know, Bismarck likes you plus two because you're both Buddhist. But we, we kind of wanted to add a little bit more mystery to the side of diplomacy where you don't see every single number up on the screen. You, you have some sense of what your relations are, but it's not plus two this, plus four this, plus one this, minus three this. Now, now I want to take issue with that because one of the great things about the plus and minus system, you saw this in Civ 4 and you see it in the Paradox games with transparent numbers, is that it's, then it was very clear for the, for the player to know what he or she has to do to fix things. Um, and taking that away might improve mystery, but might limit player awareness. Uh, so how do you work that trade-off? That, that is definitely something that we've thought about. Um, obviously, we don't want it to feel random or like a complete black box. Uh, what we've done with the AI logic in particular is made it much more, again, based on, on rational decision-making. So um, as, a, as a human player, people recognize that if an enemy or another player, let's say, is massing an army on your border, that probably means they're not friends, and uh, that might be a problem. So uh, we, we've spent some time teaching the AI to recognize various things in the world, and that's just one example. Uh, another good one is how your expansion can affect relations with other players. If you settle very aggressively, which most humans tend to do, they see something shiny on the other side of the continent and that's going to be mine, and they settle there. Um, previously, that had no effect. It was just, okay, you know, maybe you're close to them, but um, they, they didn't recognize that you'd made a highly aggressive move. And this is something that we actually want to bring into the AI for Civ Five. Um, and so there, there are various things that players can do that will affect relations in dramatic ways. One example is that if you, if you settle very aggressively near a player, it is very unlikely that you're going to be friends with them. They will pop up and say, what are you doing? We recognize you're doing this, and what, what are you going to do about it? And you actually have the choice of two options. You can say, um, sorry, screw you, we don't care, deal with it, which is pretty much guaranteed to uh, make an enemy of them. Or you can say, oh, we're sorry, we didn't mean to cause an issue, and please you know, let this not cause a strain on our relations. If you say that, and then you continue settling, then everyone in the world will find out that you're a, a traitor, and that you lie, and uh, that you're a bad person, and then they'll call you out on that. So uh, there, there are definitely areas of the game where we want to illustrate what's going on. Um, so if, if somebody is upset about your settling, they will come up and tell you. So it's not a complete mystery in that sense. But if, let's say, you've settled and then you went to the diplomacy screen, you just saw minus four, you settled near us, that has a much less powerful impact on the, on the feel of the game than if you settle, a leader comes up, makes you 
respond to your actions, and then you go from there. So that was that's one example of how we're trying to make the diplomacy side of the game um, a little bit more interesting and less mechanical. And and you know some some people will not prefer that, and that's you know that's how it is. Um, sorry, guys, in advance. But what what we're hoping to do is that for the majority of players, this provides a more compelling diplomatic experience. You have more lifelike characters that respond in a more rational way that feel like other players instead of simply numbers. Um, and that's that's the main thing is that we just we want it to feel like more than numbers. Uh Quickly, I have so many more questions I want to ask, which means we'll have to get you on the show for a full hour uh, sometime closer to the release, assuming that your handlers will let that happen. Uh, the question uh, that a lot of our users, a lot of players want to have, and they all love Civ 4. Um, I love things. I thought it was the perfect game. It's still my number one game of all time. Uh, it's hard to beat Civ 4 for me beyond the sort of expansion, except for espionage, which we all agree sucks. Um, the question of what from Civ 4, when you looked at it, you thought, wow, this is something I can't touch. Hmm. That's a good question. The um, I think one thing that was was added in Civ 4 that's really resonated with a lot of people was the great people. Um, there were great people in Civilization 3, but it wasn't nearly as fleshed out of a system. You had great scientists, which were added later, and then great generals, and that was pretty much it. There was not much there. Um, but Civ 4 really expanded on that pretty dramatically and factored in the specialists and tied a lot of different game elements into this new cool uh, economic bonus that you could you could acquire through various means and that was it, it, it became a way of playing the game it was a strategy for winning you could you know you could go to the specialist economy which gave you great people or you could go to the cottage economy which gave you lots of money to do other things with so that was one part of the game that we really knew we wanted to to keep and, and elaborate on so we've we, we definitely have that still in the game uh, we've changed a few of the details um, there's no more random roles and what type of great people you get but they're they're still in the game um, they still come from specialists and uh, they still do lots of cool things well, thank you, John, for taking the time. Uh, to listeners, I hope to get another podcast up for the end of E3. I know I said I'd be doing one every day, but people. Uh, so thanks for listening. And if you aren't listening to the Jumping the Shark podcast, I'll be on that every night uh, telling you about my favorite and least favorite thing from E3. And boy, today I have tons of least favorite things from E3. Thank you, John, and thanks for listening. Awesome.